We are today getting back in our worship services, getting back into our Believe study. So we had about 10 weeks, we had 10 weeks just before Thanksgiving when we talked about thinking like Jesus. And now we're going to make quite a transition from thinking like Jesus, which is a foundation, to acting like Jesus, translating what, what we know up here, start getting that into our heart so that we can act like Jesus. And what's the third section? You remember? Think like Jesus, act like Jesus. And the third section will be, be like Jesus, become like Jesus. The Lord tells us, don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers. And James says that, that faith without action is dead. So we've, we've started with the faith, thinking like Jesus. Now we're talking about how does that translate into what we're about as Christians. So I don't know how you responded, I mean, at what you think about those poll questions um, that, that we asked. We wanted to give you something to, to think about. It gives us just a little bit of information, but that wasn't the primary reason. The primary reason was to engage you in some thought about what worship really is, what worship really means. Because sometimes it's, it's possible to go home after a, a service and say, well, that was wonderful worship. What do we mean? Well, there was something in there that I liked, or maybe, maybe the whole thing I liked. I really liked the, uh, the praising today. Those, uh, our youth do such a wonderful job. They get so much energy, and it's, it's so great to see them up there. It's wonderful worship. Or the scripture readings, or even the sermon really hit home today, and the, the prayers touched me. And it was wonderful worship. Yeah, it's not wrong to talk in those terms, but you know, the, the New Testament never really does. In the New Testament, worship is not a noun, it's a verb. Worship is, is not something that, that we observe or that we experience, it's what we do. And in the New Testament, there's two primary words for Worship. The first one simply means serve, to, to serve the Lord. That's not the one we're talking about today. The, the second one that we're going to talk about means a little bit more than, than simply to serve. And it's used three times in the gospel lesson today. Let's take a look at one of those times. When the Magi come to the house where Jesus is, they fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped him. And actually, in a way, that's redundant because the word for worship that is used there doesn't always mean this. It doesn't have to mean this. But oftentimes what it does mean is to lie prostrate before somebody. So when Matthew in his gospel says they fell down, to worship In a way, that's redundant, because you'd already expect, if you knew this, you'd already expect that as they worship, they're falling down. Why? That's the question for us today. That is a little bit strange for us to consider, isn't it? If I were to, uh, to lay down here in worship, 
Number one, my wife would be worried because I'd get my vest and, and my pants dirty. And how are you going to get that off of there? Number two, it looks kind of, that's weird. I mean, what do we do for worship? We sit, we stand. Um, in some churches, they kneel. I don't know of any churches where they lie prostrate to worship. Although there's a little bit of good news in there for parents. When your kids get down in front of you and they're laying on the ground, you don't have to think that they're misbehaving. All they're doing is demonstrating what it used to mean, at least in that part of the world at that time, what it meant to worship, to lie prostrate. So the question again is, why? What prompts that kind of worship by these magi? By the way, let's get this out of the way. What is the, magi is, is the word that, the, that, that is used, and that's translated various ways um, in the, into English. Do you know what the best translation for magi is? The best translation for magi is magi, because we, we don't really know everything uh, that that term means, and so it doesn't hurt to leave a little bit of, of mystery there as, as opposed especially to, uh, to presenting some kind of false information on what, on what worship is. Why do we fall down? That's the idea behind wonder. It's wonderful, full of wonder our worship is, but is it really? You know, uh, two weeks ago, everybody was all excited. How come? It's just about Christmas, and especially for kids, there's some wonder about that, some, some real excitement. What's under the tree? Presents. What's in the, what's in the gifts? I don't know. I'm excited about that. And then afterwards, some of the wonder starts to dwindle, doesn't it? Well, I already know what's in the, in the presents, and some of those things were really great, and others were, were well, just okay, but, but still, the, the further we get away from Christmas... Kind of the, the less the wonderment that we feel. It doesn't matter if you're uh, five years old or 50 years old, although maybe it does a little. Because I think also some of the, the, the diminishing of wonder in us has to do not just with how many days it's been since Christmas, nine, but also how many Christmases we've experienced, how many years old we are, because it seems to me anyway that the sense of, of wonder in adults is certainly not expressed as much, and I think probably not felt as much as it is in kids. And maybe that's why Jesus says that we should have a faith like a little child. So we fall down in wonder. Let's use those, uh, those magi again, and, and we don't have these on the, uh, uh, as part of a poll, so let me just give you the three options, and you, um, you just decide for yourself, what is the, the most wonderful thing about the account of the magi? Is it that they received an invitation to the party, Jesus' birthday party? Was it that they accepted the invitation? and traveled a great distance to attend the party, was it that they gave expensive gifts? 
I think you could probably make a case for pretty much any of those. But for me, the most wonderful thing and what can fill our hearts still with wonder is that those magi, whoever they were, received an invitation at all. Because whoever they were, we know who they were not. They were not Jews. They were Gentiles. How many Gentiles are in here? I think probably all of us are Gentile as opposed to Jewish, if you use just those two categories. And the the wonder of it is that God said, yes, I've chosen my people, the Jews, but I'm extending that invitation beyond just that one group of people, and I'm extending that to everybody. And so these magi were invited. It is still a wonder, isn't it, that they accepted that invitation, traveled as far as they did. It is still a wonder that they gave expensive gifts. That was part of their worship. Part of worship as well for us is not only to give the gift of our time or our attention, or our heart, or our offerings, but also to receive the gift that God continues to give to us every time we come to worship, every time we come in order to give our worship to God. Because as great as those gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh were, They were given in response to the gift that God had given of his son Jesus. And as those magi lay prostrate before the Savior, they received an even greater gift. And we don't know what they knew or or what they believed, but they received the gift of being in the presence of Jesus. Because when you see Jesus, you fall down and worship him. It's a no-brainer. It's what you do. Maybe it's not a literal falling down. Maybe it is. But certainly it is worshiping Jesus. How do we do that? Well, the first thing is doing what we're doing now. When we gather in a setting like this, when we gather to worship. Can we worship on our own? Of course we can. But in our, uh, in our Believe book, there were several, uh, several things that talked about what it means to worship. One of them was our... Uh, Second reading today, and listen to this again, it's from Hebrews chapter 10, as, as, and, and think about it in the context of worship. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, that's where we are now, in this most holy place. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. 
And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day approaching. We fall down and worship Jesus when we come together to worship Him with one another. That's where it starts, but that cannot be where it ends. And that's why one of those questions was there in the poll, and and for me it was uh, the one that I'm going to look at, analyze the results of the most. And that is, how much does worship affect your life going forward? Is it just something that, that we do for an hour or so and then we're done until next week? Or does it carry on to the week ahead? That's addressed in the Old Testament reading today, the book of Isaiah, and I love the way Mrs. Mueller read that. I think she captured that perfectly, that, that the Lord is saying, I don't care if you come to worship me. If your hearts aren't sincere, you're not really worshiping me. And how do we know if our hearts are sincere? Well, because our worship continues. So he says that the worship that his people had been doing has become a burden to him. He's, he's weary of it. That's not wonderful. But here's what's truly wonderful. Let this happen in your lives this week. Seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. So is there church, and then there's life? Sometimes that's maybe the way it works out. Here's a quote that I found doing a little bit of research for this about how the early Christians worship. Because we don't really know. We don't know what their pattern of worship was. We don't know if they had instruments. What We don't know that. We do know they didn't meet in church buildings. They didn't have church buildings. They had homes, and they went into one another's homes where they worshipped. And then this quote, it just, it just really struck me. No building was sacred, like a church is, or like the gym is, at least on Sunday mornings for an hour or so. No building was sacred because none was secular. There was not this divide, this distinction between, well, here's church and here's life. No, it all was worship. It's what they did 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They threw themselves on the ground figuratively now in order to worship the one who gave himself on the cross for them. And that's something that we can strive for as well, to fall down and worship God. Now the question is, how do others respond to our worship, both what we do on Sunday morning and also during the week? And there's, there's various answers to that, aren't there? Some of them wonder what's wrong with us. Why are you getting up and, and going out on a, on a Sunday morning when there's so many other things you could be doing? If that's the worst of it, we don't really have too much to complain about, do we? We read about Daniel uh, this, this past week. When he worshipped the Lord, what happened? Darius and those who had, had set him up decided to kill him for his worship. Throw him in the lion's den. Of course, we know how that turned out, don't we? In many parts of the world today, when people gather for worship, others see that 
and they persecute them for it. We have the opportunity in our country to try to help the oppressed, to not ignore it, to, to pray for the oppressed and the persecuted, and, and to do whatever we can on their behalf. And we have the opportunity here to worship freely. It's what we do. We worship the one who loves us and has saved us. And sometimes, and I think this is usually the case, people wonder why we are worshiping. They don't wonder what's wrong with us. They, they wonder what's there for you. And, and we have the opportunity to tell them that. In the, uh, in the account of the, uh, the jailer in, in Philippi, I remember that one from our reading this past week. Paul and Silas are in jail and they're singing, singing hymns and praying and there's an earthquake and all the prisoners escape. Well, they don't, but they could. Why not? They wondered why Paul and Silas could be singing and praying in the circumstances that they were in. Then the jailer himself not only wonders why they were doing this, but, but he wondered how he could have what they had. When he says to them, how can I be saved? And they told him. That's how we fall down in worship. And that's what happens when we worship. Worship. It's the first topic in, in this section because it's our first response to God's love in Christ. Worship. It's what we do. And God says that's wonderful. Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.